welcome all once again to coding talks and this second episode on s3 which is one of the object storage service from amazon web services or aws yesterday uh, on 4th february 2022 we had a session on understanding about the basics of s3 how we can create a new account in the aws and get quick start with creating a creating an s3 account we also understood how we can create a bucket the different uh, prefixes by which we can mimic the folder structure or directories in a file system in s3 and we also understood how we can set the different permissions by which a user can authenticate we also understood the different ways by which uh, a person can interact uh, or person or even an application can interact with s3 uh, one popular way is through the sdk that is the way by which applications are all interacting with the s3 another common approach <coughs> to interact with the s3 account is through the console or the aws console which is the dashboard which you get after logging into the aws you can also interact with the s3 using the aws cli which is a command line interface which is available either as an installation on your local system or uh, as a web interface from the aws console as well so different approaches you can rely upon we also understood uh, that we must be careful in <coughs> setting the region that is closest to the uh, closer to the um, area where the your uh, users are actually using the uh, application so the region uh, that you must select must be very closer to where actually your uh, users are going to use the application so that way we can minimize the latency and uh, there are different features of s3 and if you are not interested in using such features like the versioning then the utility <coughs> the inventory based object tagging the different metrics and the storage class analysis or the transfer acceleration services like the cloud front feel free to turn it off so that you can reduce the pricing so you will be charged for basically storage request and the data transfer pricing and the different other features that are applicable to the s3 we have covered quite a lot of that in the previous session if you are newly listening this session i recommend you to listen that previous session as well which is uh, an overview of s3 which is available from my uh, podcast uh, channel that is uh, you can listen from any one of your favorite podcasting platform as you like so we can start the session today uh, we are focusing on understanding a bit about more advanced topics on the s3 it's not very advanced but still it's an intermediary to advanced level concepts by which you can <coughs> get a familiarity of better working with the s3 service so myself vishnu i am a dotnet programmer from tiruvannadapuram kerala state which is on the southern part of india i have more than 15 years experience in it working with the different cloud vendors and uh, i occasionally uh, podcast as well as i have a youtube channel which is available on 
and the youtube which is the coding talks with vishnu so you feel free to check out the episodes either in the in my youtube channel i also have a meetup group and i am an aws community builder for the year 2021 22 feel free to uh, check out the different past episodes as well uh, either in the podcast or from the youtube channel so with that uh, with uh, i hope you already have an under good understanding about an overview of s3 if not i recommend you to listen the previous session which is available in my podcast uh, with that we can start the session so we understood a bit about an overview the way by which we can store the objects we also understood that we can store the metadata in along with an object in s3 so the object is can be of different files it can be a jpeg file or document or whatever your application is actually using now uh, we are going to understand how we can better optimize the storage in s3 as i discussed earlier in the episode yesterday uh, we understood that when we create a new bucket and store something inside s3 by default s3 stores that in a class called the standard so the different classes are the base by which the s3 provides different uh, different additional features to the object which we are storing so the basic default storage class is called the standard by which you can access the uh, access an object at any time uh, it's intended for frequently accessing objects so that's the reason why it's available uh, as a uh, by default uh, and that class is called the standard and it's specially suited for frequently accessing objects so uh, if you are creating a new bucket and storing something some uh, by default it will be in the standard class unless you have changed the default storage class to something else so standard must be the default but you can change the storage class why we are going to change the storage class depends upon uh how much we want to optimize the cost and the storage associated with s3 if you have a frequently accessible data you must either select a standard or uh, there is another nearly uh, um, <coughs> there another own class called the reduced redundancy class as well which is suitable for non critical reproducible data so standard and reduced redundancy uh, are the most common class used for frequently accessing objects um, you must select the standard rather than reduced redundancy because reduced redundancy is almost the same price or nearly more or less uh, same price as standard and that's only suitable for non critical reproducible data so standard must be the one which is uh, usually suited for frequently accessible objects but if you feel that you are storing something inside the s3 and you don't want to frequently access that object then there is another uh, two classes which are available for infrequently accessible objects which is called the standard infrequent access and once on infrequent access uh, so there is a difference uh, between these different kinds of classes like the standard and, and versus the standard infrequent access so if you are feel that you, your objects are not to be accessed frequently you can uh, you can select that to standard in infrequent access as well as there is a another similar uh st- class called the on zone 
<coughs> infrequent access as well if you are feeling you don't want to use the uh, you, if you don't want to access the data frequently uh, on soon means that the copy of the uh, that data or your the object will be stored only in one particular availability zone AWS has the concept of different zones available across their geographical area. So each zones, each the entire geographical area is splitted into different zones. Each zone has its own power, independent cooling, and everything. Um, when you when you mark your object under the on zone infrequent access, that means that their data will be stored only in a particular uh, zone. And uh, the cost, the when you select the either the standard. Uh, infrequent access or the one zone in infrequent access it will be the storage cost will be much uh, less than that of the standard or the reduced redundancy uh, frequently accessed objects class so that's the one advantage you will get from selecting these kinds of infrequent accessible objects the storage cost associated with s3 for storing that particular object will, will be much uh, lower than that of the standard and similarly uh, if you want to archive some objects that you don't want to access or you feel that you will only rarely access those objects then you can move that to a, a different class which s3 provides you for archiving the data which is called the glacier and a deep archive so three kinds of um, <coughs> classes three categories of classes which we discussed one is the frequently accessible objects so if you feel that uh, you want your data to access frequently you should select uh, the frequently access uh, accessible class category which consists of two main uh, type of classes which is the one is the default standard class and the reduced redundancy class Reduced redundancy is specifically suitable for non-critical reproducible data. Then uh, if you feel that you, your object uh, should be in an infrequent uh, kind of category uh, you, and you want, to, you want to reduce the storage cost further, you can select the infrequent access objects category as well, which consists of two classes, that is the standard infrequent access and the on-zone infrequent access. Then if you feel further that you will be rarely accessible on accessing only your objects and you still want you to store your data inside S3, you can select the archive classes which are provided by S3 which is the Glacier and Deep Archive. So these, cla these classes are comparatively much cheaper in terms of storage cost but the uh, one thing you must understand here is if you store something inside this glacier or deep archive and if you want to retrieve it frequently uh, <coughs> um, other than the minimum stored time recommended by the S3 then you have to provide uh, you have to, you will be charged for the retrieval uh, 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 you will be charged for the retrieval of objects from these particular classes like the glacier and the deep archive. If you check out the documentation of S3, um, Amazon shows a comparison of these different classes. 
like the standard reduced redundancy standard infrequent unsound infrequent as well as the archive classes like a glacier and deep archive and how each one differs in terms of storage and how the retrieval cost will be and based on those different features or associated features related to these separate classes you can take a decision like okay um i can store my data or uh, the objects associated with it with a particular bucket can be of this particular class and that way you can optimize the storage as well as you can reduce the cost reducing the cost is one of the main reason why which organizations are moving to cloud they want uh, uh, they want a scalable organizations need a scalable application highly performance application at the same time they want to reduce the cost associated with the infrastructure and all so um as a programmer or developer or if, whoever who is involved in the uh, project you you should be responsible for selecting the best optimized storage and cost based classes for <coughs> storing the objects so that's the reason by which instead of providing a single standard class uh, s3 is providing these different classes based on uh, whatever the application needs or whatever the uh, organizations need so but sometimes the problem is like uh, initially when we start we feel okay we can store the data uh, store the object uh, under the standard class but we will not be sure like where we want to store is it uh, is it going to be a infrequent one or is it going to be a rarely archived archivable type of data um so uh, should i select standard or deep archive so such confusions can naturally happen to avoid such thing uh, to reduce the, such uh, decision issues S3 provides a class called intelligent tiring so if you select that class S3 will automatically analyze your objects how frequently you are accessing how frequently your application is accessing those objects and based on that it will move the objects within standard to infrequent access or archive accordingly so if some data uh, is um there if you store some data standard and if you select uh, the intelligent tiring class automatically the s3 will analyze that particular objects and the pattern by which how frequently that particular data is accessing by your applications and then move accordingly to a different class suitable for that particular object so intelligent tiring is one option which you can rely upon if you are not sure where you want your objects to associate with so um, so you can select standard and then you can move to intelligent tiring by which s3 automatically moves across up and it this will be applied to individual object as well so if you have a bucket and if you have two objects object a and object b imagine like uh, your application is frequently accessing the object a but same time it's uh, only rarely accessing the object b and s3 can automatically analyze if you select this intelligent tiering class 
and based on uh, how frequently that object is accessing s3 will automatically move that to a different class like the standard infrequent access or on zone infrequent access or even glacier or deep arcade So this is one of the good choice which you can make if you're not sure where you want your data to be um, uh, to be stored. Second thing is like uh, initially when we store something inside a bucket, naturally we may not have a clear picture of whether that particular object should be uh, associated with a standard or infrequent access or is it an archive type of thing. Um, you can you can reduce that decision issues up to a level by selecting the intelligent tiering but if you have an idea like okay uh, i have an object and after uh, a period of time i can move that to infrequent access or something like that then you can set the life cycle policies in s3 so that is that can be applied from within the bucket properties and if you apply the life cycle policies you can apply that life cycle policies for a group of objects uh, for a folder like uh, we discussed earlier we, we can we can mimic the concept of folder inside the s3 by adding prefixes which is actually uh, imitate the concept of a folder you can have multiple folders inside one another and this life cycle policy for transition between the different storage classes like we discussed earlier the standard infrequent and the glacier you can create this life cycle policies and it this can be applied to a group of objects or uh, even for a folder or for buckets so basically here you specify the transition rules like uh, you can specify the time frame after which if that object is not accessible by your application you can move that to a different class imagine i have an object inside a bucket or a group of objects inside a bucket and i want to i can set a life cycle policy like if this uh, if the objects inside the, this particular buckets or folder are not going to access by any of the application for a for period of 90 days or 120 days i can uh, make a decision like okay let's move this to glacier class or deep archive class and further after a uh, six month or something i can move that to deep archive as well because then at that point i can uh, make sure that okay this data is not going to access frequently and definitely can move to deep archive or glacier or whatever class which we prefer that way we can reduce the storage cost associated with uh, storing those objects so if you have a a lot of data uh, that you want to store inside s3 but at the same time if you want to reduce cost you can move that to this uh, archive type of classes keep in mind that there is a retrieval fee associated with when you store these inside um, in this type of uh, rarely accessible object category classes Uh, Amazon S3 expects you to store the objects inside that class for a minimum period of time which you can check uh, check inside that's around 90 days or something and if you are going to access the data before that time frame 
you will be charged for the uh, retrieval uh, of data from that those particular class but uh, the good thing is like if you are sure that okay this data is not going to access for uh, for a period of time like 90 days or something then let's uh, let's keep that in rk because the storage in that way can be reduced a lot similar way uh, you can also set expiration rules as well for deleting the objects inside a bucket so everything that you are storing inside the s3 bucket has an associated storage cost or the retrieval cost you can move that to a, a, a archival classes like a glacier or deep archive but still if you feel that you are not going to use the that objects at all you can set the life cycle policy for expiring that objects as well that way that objects can be completely uh, del completely deleted after a particular point of time so i recommend you to check out the documentation and understand the difference between the different categories of classes that are provided for storing the objects uh, we understood like there is a frequently accessible object class which consists of standard and a reduced redundancy uh, the standard is the default one and it provides highly durable highly available with millisecond access to data then the reduced redundancy is also fall under the frequently accessible object category this is similar to standard class but with a less durability because uh, here in this reduced redundancy your data is not replicated uh, many times and this is only designed for non critical or reproducible data and the cost is also a bit higher than that of standard so this particular class reduced redundancy is not uh, recommended at all uh, instead you can select the standard class then the other type of categories which we discussed already is the infrequently accessible objects which consist of the standard infrequent access as well as the on zone infrequent access so standard infrequent access is a highly durable and highly available with millisecond latency so there is a retention time that the amazon expects from you for storing the objects inside the standard infrequent access class there is a minimum retention time of 30 day and the minimum Uh, billable object size is 128 kb as of re the recording this session um but if you are going to uh, you uh, retrieve the data before that th 30 day retention time there will be a retrieval fee associated with accessing the data but the good thing is like if you store something inside this standard infrequent access the storage cost will be much lower than that of standard but there will be a retrieval fee if you are going to access the object within the 30 day retention or the minimum expected time which am amazon recommended for that the 30 day retention time is uh, what i understood as of recording this session 
it can change at a later point of time so i recommend you to check out the documentation to get access to the and get understanding about the latest or up to date retention time that is associated with each classes similar way there is an on zone infrequent access as well this is also very durable with millisecond latency and here also there is an object a minimum object size of 128 kb and 30 day retention period is expected from you to store the data here if you are going to access within within that um before the 30 day retention time period then uh, you will be charged for a retrieval fee uh the on zone how it differs from the on zone uh, with the standard infrequent access is like here in this uh, on zone infrequent access data is only stored in a single availability zone and so the it's uh, it's a bit reduced available or less available than the standard infrequent access however because it is storing only in a single zone that's the term it suggests like on zone infrequent access because it is stored the object is stored only inside a single um single zone the storage fee is much lower than that of standard infrequent access and lastly we understood about another kind of category of classes uh, which is specifically tailored for storing the archive data you may be wondering what all are archive data so it can be one example is the logs you can store the logs associated with uh, running your application and logs may be useful for a certain period of time like a 3 month period or 6 month duration and after by which uh, there is no point to keep that logs inside the standard because you may not going to access those logs frequently so such uh, kind of logs can be moved to an archive class by which you can minimize or reduce the storage cost associated with storing that data the uh, one thing you can understand is like if you are storing the logs that will be in a massive quantity and definitely if you store that and inside the standard class you will be charged for a much higher and the bill would increase a lot so it would be definitely recommend to move that to a glacier or archive class and the, for that reason uh, s3 provides the classes like the glacier and the deep archive so these are the glacier first we can look upon the glacier this is also a highly durable and very cheap storage class that is available from s3 which is specifically for the archiving archive uh, storing the archive type of data and um uh, if you feel that <clears throat> uh, you don't need that data for within a certain period of time then um you can store your object or move your objects using the life cycle policy to this glacier amazon expects a minimum storage time of around 90 days and if you are going to access the data within that particular time then uh, you will be charged a retrieval uh, amount for that and uh, <coughs> another thing to understand here is like the data is not available in real time 
and uh, uh, the data must be restored from the glacier to the deep archive and you will be charged for that so there uh, you should wait for a certain period of time to retrieve the data as well similarly the deep archive is also a very uh, highly durable but it's very cheap uh, compared to the standard class for storing the data and if you want to restore the data from there uh, you must wait a few hours to get the data back because that's the way by which those classes work like uh, you amazon expects you to store the data there for a certain period of time uh, and uh, if you are sure okay uh, i can store the data there for that period of time without accessing it then definitely go for the deep archive class so this way different classes are there understanding uh, uh, extensively or even have a good um, overview about these different classes will be helpful to decide how you want to manage the data that is within the s3 if you are not aware of this and if you simply store your objects inside s3 by default it will be under the category called the standard and there will be a much higher storage cost associated with that and the billing must uh, the bill you will be billed accordingly and the bill must be very high so to effectively store the data with a maximum uh, cost effective strategy you must have an understanding of all this and uh, as i mentioned earlier even if you are not aware of all these thing Amazon provides a class called the intelligent tiring which is a storage class that automatically moves data between frequent access tiers and this infrequent access tier so that means that if if you are having an object and if you put uh, that um uh, if you if you have a, a buck, uh, if you have a uh, bucket or something and if you have um if you select that under the intelligent tiring then if there is an object that has have not been accessible for around 30 days then automatically s3 will be moved from moved that uh, class to uh, that object to uh, object class from frequent access to infrequent access so this way you can help to optimize the storage cost there is uh, no retrieval or revival fee is charged for moving the objects Uh, but uh, there is a small charge for per object for movement into this tier so that's on uh, option which you can try out to optimize the uh, cost in addition to that you can also have an aware about how best you can use the life cycle policies so that by setting the life cycle policies you can allow the objects to transition between the different storage classes so you can uh, set a life cycle policy to move from standard to standard infrequent after a certain period of time uh, or you can move even uh, just like the case of the logs you can move that to a uh, archive class like the glacier or deep archive and you can also set expiration rules as well which defines the objects to delete 
after a certain period of time so if you uh, if you feel that you can decide a life cycle policy for a certain objects then it's definitely recommend to go ahead with that and amazon has a documentation uh, which is available in the s3 section and if you check out that you will get a comparison of all these different storage classes based on which you can make a decision like which one to select now uh, we understood a bit about the different storage classes and we are now in a situation where we have a bucket and we have an associated set of objects inside the bucket next we want to consume those particular objects from within our application so when it comes to application uh, the one common need uh, for your application is to query the data that is inside the s3 so to access the object that is inside the s3 bucket you can either uh, download that object and then can make a query so that's the way by which usually used to do but there is an associated uh, feature called the s3 select that is available from within the amazon s3 uh, amazon services so s3 select is a um, it's works on a single a singular object level and you can query an object and using s3 you can query an object that is inside the s3 but uh, you will be charged for that so the uh, some of the advantage you would get from using this s3 select is like um you can get a selective retrieval of data from Uh, within the object so if you have an object that is stored inside like the csv or some form of files like uh, the uh, json or json or something you can have a selective retrieval of data the way by which s3 select which is an extended feature of uh, this uh, s3 works uh, with uh, additional charge is like it uses a kind of a standard sql like syntax Uh, it's not sql it's actually a subset of standard sql and that way you can query the uh, data from within the within the uh, s3 buckets so it also supports a lot of different file formats uh, it support uh, supports both the compressed and the non compressed file formats like the compressed gzip and tzip as well as the non compressed like the csv comma separated value as well as the json um so if you are uh, using an encryption that is inside uh, your s3 bucket uh, especially the customer supplied encryption uh, we haven't touched upon the encryption yet so encryption is the way by which your data is protected inside s3 encryption uh, it's not particular for s3 whatever data that you are going to store inside the cloud service uh, that must be encrypted and by default all the cloud providers including amazon encrypts your data by default so if you store something inside the s3 like a file or jpeg file inside a bucket as an object by default s3 will automatically 
our amazon will automatically encrypt that data for your uh, data protection and it will store the data similar way uh, for other uh, services like the relation database service or uh, <coughs> whatever different services that are going to consume the data or associated with storing the data inside a cloud service automatically amazon will encrypt that with a uh, uh, it generates a key behind the scene automatically and it encrypts the data with that key in addition to that uh, there is a provision or feature which amazon provides for you to provide a key so that it can encrypt the data with your supplied key so that is called the uh, server side encryption with the key provided by the customer in amazon you could see uh, the uh, in the encryption section for s3 like uh, what type of encryption would you need would you need an uh, automatic encryption that is provided by amazon which is the default one or a kind of an encryption with the key that is supplied by you which is the ssc uh, hyphen c that's the customer supplied key so if you are providing if you are using a customer supplied key then during the usage of this s3 select you have to provide the uh, that particular key also for selecting the data with the help of s3 because otherwise you won't get you won't get uh, the data decrypted in that way so this is additionally uh, priced and this is charged based S3, the usage of s3 is actually additional priced and it's not the um, encryption is actually priced like that uh, sorry for the confusion what i mean is like the s3 select feature if you are, if you are going to use for querying the data inside the s3 uh, you would be charged for that the for charged based on the amount of data that you are going to scan and the amount of data that is returned in majority of the cases s3 select is not required in that case uh, you can ignore this s3 select feature at all you can simply query the uh, s3 uh, you can get a list of objects you can download it and you can then work on it but imagine like if you have a list of csv or json file inside the s3 and if you want to query the data that is inside that particular file then uh, without the help of s3 uh, what you end up is like you need to download the data download that uh, different csvs and then make a query on the data inside the csv from your uh, application end and then and uh, then you have to provide the information to the user so that would be time consuming that's the way by which earlier uh, application developers used to do uh, that is without the uh, without this s3 select so usually they download an object then they will do a query from the application side but with the s3 select uh, that's a feature that is uh, additionally provided by amazon uh, by which you need to pay a price for that but the flexibility you you, uh, you as an application developer get is like you can use that s3 select uh, inside uh, from within the sdk and then you can query for from whatever objects that are inside the bucket so at that time when you initiate a s3 select request uh, amazon will initiate the necessary queries 
<coughs> on their infrastructure and they will retrieve the data but you will be charged additionally for that purpose but sometimes this is re required especially if you have a list of files that that is inside a bucket and you want to query the result query the um, uh, files and make a uh, make a return according to the query and uh, to show the customer then rather than doing it locally at your application site you can depend on the s3 select <coughs> usually uh, usually a majority of the cases what i saw is like the uh, application developers tend to create a lambda function uh, lambda is a serverless function which you can create inside aws which is a separate service at all and there is an additional charge for that and inside that lambda function uh, you can use this s3 select to query the data then uh, i will would like to mention one more feature or one more important thing you must understand as an application developer when working with s3 that's the concept of pre-signed urls this is not particular to amazon s3 almost all the cloud providers that have an object storage like the azure storage or google cloud storage has this similar concept so imagine a situation where as an application developer uh, you are going to store some objects inside the s3 bucket and you want to provide an url or you want to provide some temporary access for someone uh, outside your application so it can be something like for example the one uh, important use case which i have seen is like uh, the user is requesting to generate a report and majority of the cases we can generate a report on the fly and can show it to the customer but imagine a situation where it involves a lot of processing to generate the report uh, we go for a queue based pattern by which the user will initiate a request for getting the report and then uh, that will be stored that request will be stored inside a queue and there will be a background process associated with the request and then it will process and generate the report it will take some time to generate the report and once the report is ready that will be in a format like a pdf or excel and we need to provide that excel to the user usually we notify them either through an sms or through an email so at that time we will get an um, link by which we can download that report so many instances we have seen this type of scenarios uh, if you are you want to generate a report like this and you want to provide a user with an url that by which they want to access then this uh, pre-send url is very much required in those cases so uh, what you end up is like you will get a request from the user to generate a report in the queue and some form of background process uh, you can generate like a worker service or some form of lambda function you can work behind the scene and you can generate the report and once the report is generated you can store that inside a bucket but that bucket will be accessible only for 
accessible for either you as an owner or your application also can access that bucket but what about the external users we need to provide them a url for accessing at that time programmatically using the sdk you can generate a url by which that url will be publicly accessible for a limited period of time you can set the expiration time so that is why it is called the pre-signed url with a with a um, with a uh, with a time limit access on an object so if you have an object like if you are if you generate a report and a report like a pdf and you store that inside an report folder uh, or report bucket inside amazon s3 using this pre-signed url you can grant a temporary permission on an object and basically that pre-signed url will be like a normal url and with the help of that url anyone in the public domain can access your object so you must be very careful while generating the pre-signed url you should only provide that to the relevant users and you must also set a time limit so that if some other person uh, get access to that url and if they try at a later point of time uh, it should show a error like the uh, url expired or something by uh, that way that data would be protected so uh, whatever you are storing inside the uh, s3 bucket by default it would be private unless you explicitly provide a public access usually we don't provide a public access to a bucket because that's not um, uh, safe so if you want to provide a temporary permission on an object for an external person to download or something usually we as an application developer you need to rely upon this pre-signed url which you can generate using the uh, sdk that is provided by amazon uh, you can when you use that sdk you can generate a uh, pre-signed url you have to provide the bucket and the expiration time and the object information and all and the sdk will give you that url and you can pass that url to the uh, your user using an email notification or whatever way which you prefer then uh, using that url your users can access the objects otherwise the that object would be private so it uh, it involves a scenario like uh, user getting an email with a pre-signed url and user clicks on that and then uh, an api call is triggered to the s3 and based on based on the you are pre-signed url which can be valid for a certain uh, amount of time like uh, you can set the expiration time usually uh, in the case of report generation it would be maximum 30 minutes or one hour and when we notify the user we would uh, we will specify them like this link will be valid for only one hour or so by which the user can immediately download and store get the report some of the things you must aware while generating the uh, uh, pre-signed url is that it must be generated via the bucket owner you must have a buck account within the uh, amazon by which uh, that account needs uh, that account should own a bucket and from within that account uh, 
you should generate the bucket owner so this present url is on behalf of a bucket so the anyone who is receiving this present url they can access it and um, this present url uh, to generate you must use the aws sdk there is no way currently as of the time of this recording to generate a present url through through the <clears throat> aws console you must use the sdk and you must generate it so far we have understood the different ways and extensive features of s3 uh, now you have a good impression that s3 is not just a simple storage it's much more than that in addition to this sometimes for compliance requirements from an organization perspective uh, they need uh, to track the request that is accessing this bucket so different applications might be accessing your bucket so you may need to make sure that okay uh, who all is accessing that bucket so we have a uh, we have a uh, logging that we can enable inside the s3 that uh, that option is by default provided by s3 but that is not enabled you have to enable the logging so when you enable the logging there won't be any charged uh, as charge associated with the logging feature uh, logging feature which you are going to enable but uh, when you enable the log s3 will be going to store the logs and that uh, for storing that particular logs s3 needs a location usually you provide a different bucket for that purpose so if you have a bucket like uh, something like uh, fi files or something a bucket just a fictional uh, case um, and if you if you want to store the logs associated with that files bucket you can have a separate bucket called files hyphen logs which indicates that associated logs will be stored in that bucket you can simply enable the bucket logging after that you first you create the log for storing your uh, first you create the bucket for storing your logs that are related to the a particular bucket so when you create that uh, target bucket for storing the logs make sure that you should provide a proper name by which you can understand what what's the purpose of that bucket is for so if you provide the main bucket name hyphen logs you can understand that okay this this particular bucket is used for storing the logs uh, you can have additional uh, options as well like uh, while storing the logs you can have a prefix uh, for a particular bucket in that way you can categorize the logs accordingly and you can group the logs that is a different way but usually one approach is like you can provide a bucket with the same name as the first <coughs> buck uh, as the source bucket followed by the logs that is one way another way is by which you can provide a bucket called the logs create a bucket called simply logs and then you can enable logging from different buckets with the prefix associated with each bucket so when you create enable the logging you can set the prefix um, by which s3 will store the logs accordingly 
inside the folder so it will be like uh, if it is bucket a bucket a hyphen dogs or something that way it will write so now you, now you may be wondering why we need a logging so one important thing or the reason for enabling this kinds of logging for s3 is to track the request for accessing for access to a bucket and this uh, this by enabling the logging it records the information that uh, that is helpful for tracking it tracks the time the requester ip address and the what what operation is actually the requested person is performing so based on that we can make a decision like okay the, is this a valid uh, request or so um, by default this is not enabled you have to enable it and uh, there's no charge for enabling the logging but uh, as i said earlier there will be charge for storing the logs <coughs> and the generated logs are not in real time so there may be a delay that you can expect for generating this logs logs uh, are delivered from the s3 on the on a best effort basis but uh, sometimes it can it may delay uh, depending upon the uh, uh, depending upon the s3 service so um it's kind of a uh, it's not real time but uh, on a best effort basis the logs will be generated so enabling logging is definitely helpful but uh, you have to keep in mind that while uh, enabling the log you have to provide a target bucket um uh, <coughs> so you can enable this from the um, configuration section on the source bucket you can also optionally specify a log prefix by which you can categorize the data so by default only the bucket owner uh, has the full permission uh, so when you enable the logs automatically s3 will uh, add that user to a s3 log delivery group on the target bucket so that permission is required that grant that right permission on the s3 log delivery group is required so when you enable that automatically that permission is applied to that particular user and uh, another very important thing to keep in mind is like uh, both buckets the source bucket and the logging bucket must be owned by the same account one of the reason by which we enable this kinds of logging is uh, especially for the security and compliance reasons especially the audit reason uh, sometimes when the s3 bill goes very high organizations are interested to know who is accessing that and we it's uh, helpful if we keep a log so and that way from the log we can analyze the data uh, this logs are purely text files which are generated by the uh, generated by the <coughs> amazon s3 service when you enable the logging but by default that logs uh, from the logs it is very difficult to analyze 
who he is accessing a particular system especially when a large number of requests are happening to a particular bucket there may be hundred or thousands of requests per seconds to a particular bucket so from the from a just view of a log it's not easy you must use an associated log analysis services like the elastic search or something like uh, uh, something from amazon web service to analyze the logs and based on that you can uh, you can generate metrics or make decisions like okay from which ip maximum request is happening and uh, can make a decision but other than that from the logs itself if you are not using any analyzing service analysis service it would be very difficult to track what is happening so if you properly enable the logging and have a log analysis as well you can have a very effective security and audit uh, um, mechanisms in place and this can help you to understand your aws bill and it can also help to understand the nature of request which customer is using uh, which bucket and all those things uh, and the buckets which we provide for logging uh, keep in mind that that logs will be built up over time so you can rely on a life cycle policy which we just discussed earlier to move the data or either to delete the logs after a particular time or to archive the data to reduce the storage cost um so the all the logs inside that bucket that is generated by the amazon uh, it have rich information there but uh, unless you use an analysis engine either you have to use your own analysis engine like the hadoop or elastic search or from the amazon there is a service called the amazon athena uh by default all the different logs if you open each log and analyze what is happening inside there it would be very difficult so you definitely need an analytics engine mechanism either uh, your own uh, hadoop or elastic search mechanism or something from within the amazon like the athena or whatever way which you like so these are some of the important things uh, which you must be aware of while working with s3 uh, uh, using the logging you can understand a bit of things but uh, sometimes uh, you you can also use additional services like the cloud trail which uh, provides visibility into the different user activity or the api calls so when you use the cloud trail uh, some of the extra uh, extra request that are related to the s3 can be enabled from when you switch on the uh, cloud trail uh, so this uh, when you enable this cloud trail it captures specific api request made to the s3 from your aws account so by default only uh, the bucket level actions are captured uh, but you can enable an object level action by configuring an event selector and just like i mentioned earlier along with the uh, having the concept of uh, enabling a symbol logging if you use the cloud trail and also an associated uh, analytics mechanism in place that will provide a good uh, auditing and compliance mechanism for from within the cloud trail 
and uh, when you enable the cloud trail it can capture the api calls that is routed to the s3 uh, s3 service but uh, have to keep in mind that not all the api calls are captured some of the api calls like the delete bucket or and uh, delete by uh, life cycle policies or get bucket information get acl put bucket information of these all things can be captured these all these are all different api request um, basically the s3 is a kind of an um, api based mechanism by which the applications are accessing the s3 functions basically through an http rest api so each uh, api call from your application will be captured Uh, even if you create a bucket from within the console that is also an underlying api that a call that is happening behind the scene so all the different api calls can be captured some of the main api calls can be captured by cloud trail uh, so you have to check out the documentation uh, from within the uh, amazon to understand uh, which what all api calls can be captured by cloud trail and if you get an associated um proper log from the cloud trail uh, based on uh, uh, what you need then that would be certainly helpful and the cloud trail log format would be in a kind of a json format um, but uh, <coughs> but the advantage is like you can integrate that cloud trail with additional services like the cloud watch which can monitor and alert on specific metrics and even you can create this um, uh, cloudwatch log monitoring as well as the cloudwatch events so that you can take a specific action uh, and you can route that action to a lambda or even other services within the amazon like the uh, sqs simple queue service or the simple notification service or the stream uh, analytics like the uh, kinesis or something so there are different different ways by which you can you can um, extend the logging from amazon we understood like um, we can enable a simple logging from s3 so that is the quite easiest method but you need to use a analysis mechanism also in place to get something valuable information from those logs in addition to that you can enable the cloud trail which can capture the api request that is uh, that is routed to the s3 and you can also integrate the cloud trail with the cloud watch so cloud watch is another um, another service from amazon all these are different different services we started with s3 and uh, the logging along with the s3 is by default uh, integrated with the s3 so that is included with the s3 but other than that all the different extra things like the cloud trail and this cloud watch so cloud watch can be used to uh, monitor the cloud trail logs and can uh, monitor and generate the alerts based on specific metrics and if you want to further extend you can associate the cloud trail with a cloud watch event and then can be even further extend using the different other services like the sqs uh, sns service or lambda so this way a chain of events can be triggered based on whatever is happening inside the s3 so <laughs> it's like uh, it's end up 
like uh, S3 is much much more than a simple storage of data and that is the reason why when they started this service in uh, 2006 so this is the initial service that is started by Amazon uh, it got a massive popularity at that time and all the companies have requested additional services on top of the S3 so S3 is the foundation and they have integrated different other services like the lambda uh, and everything on top of s3 so uh, at that time there are a situation like okay we are uh, the companies or organizations are storing something inside s3 and once the S3, uh, objects is stored inside s3 okay that is fine but what's next what's uh, what we are going to do with the data so at that time they used to pull the data from the s3 and to do further processing but as things evolved as the cloud evolved more uh, amazon came up with more services like that lambda and also this sqs and sns and other services which have tight integration with the s3 so that they can, so that the organizations can more effectively integrate the s3 object data with the different other services rather than creating a mechanism by their own initially when they started the s3 service this when amazon started the s3 service organization used to pull the data from s3 and the, do the processing by their own now with uh, with having much cheaper storage available um, uh, and have a rich set of data inside s3 different other services can be integrated and can depend upon one uh, another area is like the analysis big data analysis so s3 can be used as a, a platform or the base foundation for storing the data which can be used by other analysis services so coming to the logging part uh, we uh, we gone a bit further but again i want to come Uh, back to you to the logging part like uh, when we store something inside the s3 we can have a simple logging as well as we can have an extended logging using the cloud trail and cloud watching and we can even further extend that so that's up to the uh, up to you uh, on how you want all these things to happen now we will quickly cover upon some of the performance implications of s3 as well so we understood that we can have at least uh, a uh, at least a 100 bucket uh, from within an account in s3 and each bucket can have multiple objects as well we can extend the buckets uh, minimum buckets from maximum buckets from 100 to further on on a request to amazon but uh, up to 100 it's fine uh, because we can store additional objects that uh, inside the s3 buckets uh, inside each bucket so by default when coming to the performance uh, amazon created this s3 in such a way by which it is actually by default it is highly performing and highly scalable that means that um, simultaneously at least around 3500 uh, put or copy or post or delete request per second can be uh, assigned to each different folders or different prefixes and also 
around uh, 5500 get or head request per second can be uh, put upon each prefixes so the <coughs> the thing is like um, if you have multiple prefixes on each bucket you can simultaneously have uh, around 3500 so that means up to um you can have a get up to 5500 per each prefix inside a bucket so that means if you have multiple prefix inside buckets you can have a maximum of around 20000 27500 request per second provided if you have different different prefixes so if you feel that your uh, if your application is going to access massive get request from from within an s3 bucket consider splitting the data into different buckets because each bucket can have a maximum of around 5500 get per uh, request per second uh, so by splitting that objects inside multiple prefix or multiple uh, folders in uh, in an easy to understand way um this prefix is uh, we can <coughs> we can construct a kind of a folder like structure using this prefix so if you have multiple prefix and multiple objects inside each prefix so your application can simultaneously uh, uh, request each prefix uh, so each prefix will have uh, each prefix can serve up to uh, 5500 get request and similar way if it's a put or post or delete or copy request uh, around 3500 request per uh, prefix can be made from each application so that means that if you have multiple prefixes and the applic- if the application can make parallel request then they can further extend that so that way you have to uh, decide uh, how you want to create the sy- uh, system so if you have um, if you if you want to have a highly performing application um, you have to consider other factors uh, as well just like uh, prefixing the objects uh, prefix creating that uh, different prefixes and storing the objects inside each prefix and your application accessing those thing one another thing you need to consider is the uh, is some of the limitations like the network throughput as well as the memory throughput so there should be a memory uh, or network restriction for accessing uh, parallelly so that means um, if you want to perform a lot of get request you have to split across multiple uh, split the uh, request from parallel machines as well because from one machine you can make up to a maximum of around 27500 but you can use a combination of different parallel machines and that way you can uh, have a get request of around 55000 and more Uh, so that means that on bucket will have multiple prefix but uh, you can't simply create a lot of prefix and have an on system accessing all those prefixes because there will be a network uh, limitation from each system uh, uh, from the from the network and the memory level so um, 
first point is like uh, you have to create different prefix and you have to store the objects and inside each prefix as well but also make it a point like how that data is going to consume or that data is going to process so if you want to process that in a faster way um, consider using different different parallel instances by which each machine can parallelly access these different prefix so if you have uh, on uh, in that way one machine can maximum have a, <coughs> a prefix of four prefixes simultaneously in parallel and another machine can have another uh, four another five prefixes so totaling the request if in the case of get it can be up to around 55000 in that way so these are um, uh, some of the things you must uh, understand and mainly ma main thing which i mentioned first along with this uh, place your s3 bucket near to whatever uh, uh, services that are going to use the s3 uh, uh, s3 so place it a region that is very closer to the end user um, so you can also cache the frequently accessible contents inside an in-memory cache like an elastic search or an um, if it's a video content you can use the aws elemental media store to cache the content <clears throat> you have to also uh, make uh, um, you have to also aware that uh, sometimes there is an uh, there is a possibility for http 503 errors that can happen from s3 and lot of requests are going to happen so you have to implement the retry mechanisms as well so some of the sdks are already uh, uh, already having this uh, this uh, retry mechanisms in place also um, you have to parallelize parallelize the get and put request for maximum uh, performance so for if it if it's a put or delete request or uh, if it is a put or post request then consider multi-part uploading for puts and if it's for a get uh, consider the range based gets as well and also uh, for list uh, you can parallelize and sometimes you can uh, you can use secondary in, uh, indexes or an s3 some extra services like s3 inventory to uh, inventory to query the s3 uh, indirectly rather than querying the s3 directly to uh, reduce the bottlenecks as associated with there then uh, from the application <coughs> application uh, point of view uh, application developer point of view uh, you can install the latest version of sdk because some of these things like the parallel retraining and all are inbuilt into the SDK itself and the exponential retry and all are built into the SDK itself so you will get the advantage of using the SDK and if you are using uh, encryption especially the customer side encryption you need to provide an encryption key sometimes uh, to manage the keys in a central location organizations may use uh, the key management service which is available from Amazon it's a central place to store all the secrets and keys 
just like there is a limit to the request that is ha- that should happen to each services inside aws and uh, this kms also have a limit associated with each key so you have to be aware of that if you are prov- using kws along with the s3 for encryption key storing purpose you have because sometimes it may hit uh the kms throttling prior to s3 th- throttling so you have to be aware so <clears throat> unless you absolutely require the kms make ma- make it a point to use the default encryption in place uh, if you are using kms key limit so you have while developing the application you have to aware that key limits and you have to mitigate the uh, mitigate the request accordingly either using some other approaches like the um uh, um the inventory the s3 inventory or some other secondary inv- indexes sorry even sometimes you can store the data temporarily in a ca- in memory cache like the redis cache or elastic cache or even the data inside a database instead of directly querying the um s3 at all time so once uh, once some uh object or files you can identify you can store that details or store that information or path inside some secondary indexes like the s3 inventory or the a secondary database uh, so that you can minimize the hit to the s3 in such cases but um the main point is like uh, you have to analyze how much request that is going to happen from from your <clears throat> from within your application to the s3 uh, it should be the application that is consuming the s3 should be developed in such a way that uh, it should not uh, uh, it should not break because of this throttling so that way you should manage to create the application <coughs> so i think we have covered enough of this thing um i will quickly wrap up some of the important use cases that we use s3 for yesterday we have covered a few of the different use cases that we use s3 for one is the application content storage or the object storage that is one thing another thing is like s3 can also be used for uh, a, as a data store for your data analysis requirement different services inside aws can consume the s3 object uh, and because of its tight integration with s3 s3 is a very popular service so different different services within the amazon as well as even other services have good integrations with the s3 service so that way uh, you can store the data inside s3 and can have other integrations like the data analysis or sometimes in the case of uh, the backup services like the cloudberry that can store the backup to amazon s3 then you can also use s3 for static uh, website hosting as well that is another purpose so if you have a react or some static website uh, you can store that 
inside S3 and you can simply serve the data because S3 is much cheaper. It's very cheap to host it uh, and use it for a static web hosting. That is another thing. Then different different other purpose like uh, for the organization to store the data or some content. You can have S3 for that purpose. Then if you want to store some content and to have some processing, then S3 is all then also S3 is also a good choice because of its integration with other services like the AWS Lambda and also the different other services within the AWS like the SNS service or the data analytics service or big data services or uh, services like Amazon Athena and all or different different other services as well. So in that way different different use cases are there. I plan to cover another session on S3, different use cases of S3 uh, later in this podcast. Uh, I will come up with that and till then, uh, good, have a great day and uh, goodbye. So myself, uh, um, uh, whatever I present through this podcast are purely my personal opinion and do not represent any of the employer's view in any way. Thank you very much for listening this episode. I think this episode is now over one hour. And today is, yeah, it's like uh, one and a half hour and a bit lengthy it became. Uh, apologies for that. But hope you, I hope you got enough understanding of getting started with S3. There are much more details to know, especially if you are interested in knowing how the different organizations are actually using the S3. I recommend you to check out the Twitter handle called the S3 Storage, which is available from Amazon. So it presents that that Twitter handle presents the different use cases of different organizations uh, by which you um, once you go through that, you can understand how effectively we can use S3 for serving our different purpose. So might be. Uh, your uh, use case may uh, <clears throat> may be similar to one which you can view in that Twitter handle. So you can check out that there. Then the other thing is like uh, you can also check out the documentation, the different case studies and can find out how the different organizations are using the S3. I hope uh, the this session and the earlier session will give a good background of getting started with S3. So thank you. Thank you uh, once again for listening this episode. Have a great day.